0: Hello, and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Michelle Angel. Michelle is an entrepreneur and mom and part of the LGBTQ community in my hometown, Pantwater, Michigan. We'll be right back with Michelle, but first let's talk about service. So last night I went to a film called The Shift, which is uh, by Wayne Dyer, and one of the things he talked about was service. And um, I found on his website, it says, supportiveness Or service to others is one of the four cardinal virtues described by Lao Tzu. When you extend yourself in a spirit of giving, helping, or loving, you act as God acts. Imagine shifting your attention off yourself and asking the universal mind, how may I serve? When you do so, the message you're sending is, I'm not thinking about myself and what I can or can't have. Your attention is making someone else feel better. And I've been thinking about that since last night. I just thought, I started this show from sort of a desperate personal place of depression, and it hasn't just helped other people to hear the stories and to come on the show, but it's helped me. It's helped me in bigger ways than I thought it would. And I didn't really start it thinking, I thought, like, I want to destigmatize depression. I want to help people who are in the same place that I was four years ago. Who can't get out of bed and aren't up for things and just barely making it. And now, you know, months and months and months later, about eight months later, the show's still going and I don't feel depressed. And I think that part of it. Was just getting out of myself and making myself talk every week about where I really was with my depression. And some weeks I just felt stupid. I thought, Who even wants to hear from me? Why would anybody listen to the show when you hear the depression session? Like God, that sounds awful. And I just get up and I go to the station. I knew somebody was coming in to be on the show, and I'm so grateful each each week that someone was there. And I tell my little five minute story, and then. They'd tell their story and something magical would happen. And I really feel like it is that question of how can you make someone else's life better through your own experiences? I think that is really key. And that's that's where I want to go with my life in general. I've been thinking about how I am as a teacher. And I think I want to teach in a way, and, and I know I already do it, but maybe even just like shift the focus to like, I'm here for you all to have a good experience and have a better life. Like, that's it. Like I hope you learned some art techniques, but really I'm here because I want you to have a better life. I don't want you to have to struggle. If I can help with that, that's what I'm here for. And so on that note, I just want to close with a thought, which is maybe if you're in the depths of your depression, you might not be able to serve someone now but maybe just a little thought about where that could take you. Like, what, what would you be doing if you were doing something to make somebody else's life better? Because that helped me a lot. And I hope it helps you. So today's sponsors, Downtown Radio, relies on listener support. If you enjoy Downtown Radio, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution to any amount to help keep us on the air and get us live streaming. You can visit www.downtownradio.org find the donate button, and make a contribution. Your support is greatly appreciated. So today we have with us in the studio, Michelle Angel. Michelle is an entrepreneur and mom and part of the LGBTQ community in my hometown, Pountwater, Michigan, which I have to tell you guys is about 300 people. No, it's 900. Ha! <laughs> but hello, Michelle, and welcome to the depression session.
1: Hello. I think we're up to 1,200 now in the winter. Ooh! Take taking, taking a huge leap course, only 300 of them vote. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: what's new with you? What are you up to in your life?
1: Well, I'm running for Village Council, which uh, is a big chapter in my life. I had to set aside a lot of work and personal stuff to serve my community. And that's kind of how I feel like, you know, I wasn't ready for this prior to this move, but I am now, and uh, it really is about serving our village because it is such a magical village. We're, we're very fortunate to live where we live, that's for sure. There's like- very few of us in this age group, <laughs> me me, at 43. Uh, I'm definitely the minority, but I am very lucky to be surrounded by so many retired professional grandparents here on Lake Michigan.
0: you know I I think I think in some ways my childhood despite my family and stuff that happens and our town was pretty poor when we were growing up there was a lot of struggle actually I know with lots of families just to get by I know my family went through that but there was something idyllic in growing up in a place and I like the idea of growing up surrounded by grandparents oh yeah (laughs) they'll have a vested interest in you
1: (laughs) No, no doubt about it there's zero doubt about that And uh, yeah, I too grew up, uh, Laura and I grew up real close to each other a few blocks away, but uh, I too grew up with not a lot of extra money, not a trust fund baby, didn't come from money. Uh, So on snow days, I shoveled driveways and and made it happen. And uh, if if you wanted, you were going to get pro ring tennis shoes for basketball, but if you wanted Nike, you better shovel your driveways. So (laughs) I used that real easy. And then as I grew up and... Moved away to Orlando for four years. I moved back and decided this was where I really wanted to be. And there's very few of us that remain here year-round, meaning kids that we grew up with or went to school with, they all go. But they all long to get back here some way, some, as you as you know, you were just here a couple of weeks ago for our big celebration, yearly celebration. So it's, uh, I feel very fortunate to be where I'm at, and uh, that kind of is part of my story is is not being discriminated against in my village is probably the best support I had Yeah, uh, through all of my, my trials and, and errors and mistakes and everything I did. Uh, this village does not discriminate against me and who I am yeah. on any level. So I'm pretty fortunate.
0: And and it, it is, it's like growing up in Peltwater, I felt... It really was like being part of a family. I mean, when there's, I, I have, I have been inside almost every house in town. For some reason, mostly legal. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, 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 you don't have to tell all the stories. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, it is intensely magical. It's kind of something that people find it. It's very strange. It's hard to believe. And once you get here, it's so magical. You don't need a car to drive around. You you have access to your beach and your people and your family. And we, I really, really strive hard now uh, in these latter chapters of my life to serve. And that means that if you come here, we won't let you be hungry. We won't let you not have a vehicle that works. We will not let you, you know, we strive to do that. I do. It's pretty easy to lead this group of people because they're all willing to do that. So we're pretty fortunate here. I, no complaints. Other than I might be one of the only gays. (laughs) I'm okay with that. I'm all right with it. And they are too. There's a big unconditional love by these grandparents here. I'll have to tell you that.
0: So, Michelle, Michelle, tell us the story of your depression.
1: Well, mine started, uh, I I mean, I'll start you real quick. On the beginning stages, I run all my chapters in years. Uh, So, 1 through 17, as just like you, I Grew up here, magical, just like I told you. I thought it was great, played a lot of sports. Um, We were able to because we were a d-school. You know, academics were academics to me, really. They were more of a necessity to get to sports. I was uh, not an overachiever in the academic world. (laughs) Since then, I've really applied myself, but uh, I was not so great then. But I was fortunate enough to have people like your dad, your mom, everybody, kind of really watched us and uh, made sure that we got to the next level, even in the academic world. So I was fortunate on that end. Went through that, um, had a boyfriend, adored him, loved him. Moved past that stage in my life and met a girl when I was 17 from a neighboring school. And uh, that's kind of where it all started. That's where the game got started. And in our age group in the late 80s and the early 90s, there was zero conversation about uh, gay, lesbian. There was zero conversation going on. And if there was conversation going on, it was typically not something that was ever paraded in a great light. It was always something very undercover. And we were in a very small Midwestern village, so it, was, it wasn't it was there. The education wasn't there, the people weren't there, the culture wasn't there. So. We had uh, an unusually tight relationship, uh, her and I. We dated brothers, and then we got to know each other really well. And uh, we had a very tight relationship to the point where uh, the year I graduated, the summer I graduated, we um, basically lived together that whole summer, and then we signed up to be college roommates. We slept in the same bed, and we, but we never were together, together, intimate at all. It was nothing like that, although we acted very couple, like a couple. Anyways, moving forward, she was probably your atypical, I guess I hear adjectives like lipstick lesbian, which makes me laugh, but you you would picture me a little bit more of the stereotypical gay, and you would not picture her. She looks a little more like you, you know, a pretty, a great girl, very lipstick. And uh, anyways, moving forward, one day. We kind of separated after college because where were you going to go with that relationship? You couldn't keep sleeping in the same room and acting as a couple, but you really weren't. So we kind of split off a little bit, and I was started a little depression there. I couldn't understand it, and, you know, I didn't have a boyfriend, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. Well, our life progressed and moved on, and I met a outstanding guy out uh, Standing, he asked me to marry him we bought a house we were successful we were a great partnership we were everything else and right before we got married in 99 June of 99 I'll never forget it Sarah called me up the my previous roommate and said uh, I need to talk to you and I need to see you after work and I need to see you and uh, meet me at my work parking lot so I thought, what the heck? Now I'm two months from getting married at this point, very happily with this guy. I mean, there's no, it, it's hard for people to understand, especially if you see me. It's very difficult for people to understand that I was fully, fully 1000% committed to this guy. I adored him. And today, to this day, divorced, I still adore him. Uh, I love him and will always love him. But she pulled me aside and said, I- I'm gay. And I'm moving to Virginia. And I, uh, you know, I, of course, I remember standing against my car, staring at her thinking, what? You what? Huh? Are you sure this is just a stage? You know, all the, the basic conversations that everybody goes through. And uh, I just, I couldn't say anything. I was so surprised. Because again, this is you have to put yourself back in 1999, in the Midwest, this was still not a conversation. This is eight years after we began our relationship together as friends, and it was just strange. Well, she had met a girl that had come from the Virginia area, and had come up, worked with an, and was with another girl, and anyways, that evolved, and they broke up and she was taken up with this girl and she was headed back to Virginia because guess what? Down there, there's a whole camp of them. So they're all there and things are progressing and things are moving on. So that kind of set me into a, maybe a different kind of spin on my life. I was still really happy, but when I left that meeting with her, um, I think a piece of me, felt like I wasn't going. I don't know what I felt. I felt like I was in the right direction, but I was scared because I thought, what am I missing? What did I do? What, how, how does she know? How I was confused and I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. So that to me was kind of the, one of the first pivotal points of my life where I, I realized that I was maybe different too, but I I couldn't wrap my head around it because I love this guy so much. So fast forward, I got married. She came to my wedding and she cried through the whole thing. I'll never forget seeing her. And Her parents came and, of course, you know, everybody was there. It's the village. It's they, they, you know, when there's a village wedding, everyone kind of just, and it's in the public. It's not in the church. Everyone shows up just because it's something to do for an hour. Uh, so I did that. It was a great time. And uh, we got happily married. And she left after that night. And I hadn't seen her again. And um, had a boy. Uh, Gordy and I moved. And we had a ball. We had a great time. We traveled. We partied. We hung out. We were intensely great communicators with each other, even though he wasn't great. Always we had great we had a great marriage on every level, and then all of a sudden, 2010 hit, and she came home, and uh, it, it just, it, it all, my whole life changed right there. I'll never forget sitting in my living room. Gordy, my ex, uh, traveled a lot. He was a heavy equipment operator, uh, but he was a specialized crane operator, so he would be on jobs. Far away and close and everywhere, but he was never home and we had had our son I I guess I skipped a little part where I guess I'm sure now that I had postpartum depression after our son was born We did plan for a long time to have a son or or a child I mean and uh, we it just happened after eight years of marriage We had him and we were over the moon about it. So we couldn't have been happier to get that surprise in our life. We thought we were past it, yada, yada, yada. He laughed right afterwards. I had a colicky baby for 15 months and a week. Uh, He did not sleep six hours straight until he was 15 months and one week old. And I was alone. And it was... The first year of his life was the darkest part of my life. And I hate to say it out loud, but I'm going to say it. And I'm going to own it because someday he'll hear this. But I, I, he is the best blessing in the whole world, this guy, this kid. He's nine now and he's outstanding. Uh, but that first year was a real struggle. I was alone. I didn't have hands on grandparents. We were in a huge farmhouse. Uh, I maintained the property, filled the wood stove. I, I did everything I used to do. Um, but with a screaming baby, it was awful. And I was alone. No one to talk to. It was, <laughs> uh, that was another little segment of depression that I, that, it, that hit me the hardest. And then, so when Sarah showed up in 2010, I uh, just went, wow, I, there's a, you know, a light. And uh, I feel this way. And what am I going to do? And how am I going to handle this? I don't want to wreck my marriage. My marriage is great. It's, it's great. I can't wreck my marriage, but I can't deny these feelings either. Um, and so consequently, I sat him down after a while, uh, probably three months of, of conversation with Sarah. And I said, I need to test this part of my life. I'm depressed. I don't know how to bounce out of some of this stuff. I need to explore this. This is probably something that most people did in college. Uh, and that's what I thought. I thought, well, maybe I just, so fast forward now, uh. It's so crazy, but we're like a modern family. We uh, vacation together. Uh, we do a lot together, all of us, Sarah, Gordy, and I. But the depression part of it is right after I told him and he walked away without any anything. He just walked out of the relationship, which... I guess is probably to be expected. I kind of thought maybe he would fight for our relationship because it was so strong. That really sent me into a spin, and uh, I was probably struggled. I remember the, I struggled. I couldn't find anyone to talk to. No one, no help groups, no therapists, n- nobody. And you wanted somebody to talk to. Who somebody else has to be going through this, and I felt so alone. And Sarah was through this with me, and Gordy was through this with me. I mean, they both could testify to their own depression in this deal. I I know they all had it. We all did. But I will tell you, moving forward, the first time that I saw a therapist, he said to both Gordy and I, Gordy and I still go to therapy periodically together because we raise our boy together, and we like to be on one page with each other. Uh, He said to Gordy, I will never forget Gordy saying, it's been six months. I don't know why she's not over this. Why isn't she moving on? She's crying all the time. I can't get her to stop crying. Why is she doing this? And the therapist said to him, Gordy, divorce is three to five year recovery. And you have to understand, if it was a death, you might be in a one to three year category. She is in a three to five year category. And you know what? it took me almost five years to the day. And I don't want that to be discouraging for people because one thing I need them to understand is that, and there's a lot in between there, but one thing that I'd like people to understand is that I decided early on to make my book a chapter book. And the reason I did that is because when I'm sliding into that bad chapter or what I claim to be that chapter of uncomfortable feelings or depression or I'm hiding. I went really recluse and I'm really not a recluse person. When I slid into that depression, I had to, and I didn't have anyone to talk to anywhere to reach. I had to finally convince myself that that chapter two would close. And that was the only way that my sanity could remain because otherwise there was nothing. Was I in a, like the chapter, the rest of my life, this is how my chapter going to be. Or was this chapter two going to end? And if, without convincing myself that that chapter was going to close someday, I would have been lost. I would never made it. Uh, so now uh, I'm in chapter 43, which is how old I am. And uh, I have a wonderful nine-year-old boy. We vacation together with Sarah and, and Gordy and Gordy's girlfriend, which took me a while. That's a chapter in itself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> addressing to him having a girlfriend is a whole other chapter. Uh, that maybe someday we'll discuss and uh, how everybody reacted to each other and how my parents were, my parents, my in-laws, my whole world was devastated. I mean, they all lost. They all slid into their own chapters of depression in some form or fashion. But now we're all together. My grandpa's 90th birthday party just happened this past year right before he died. And everyone was there. My aunt's exes, we've led the group. Gordy and Sarah and I have led this group into a whole new modern family. My aunt's exes were there. My cousin's exes were there. Uh, Everyone was there to celebrate that guy and what he had done and the bridges he had built. And I thought, that just shows you right there. We can be leaders in this deal and break new ground. And we did. Wow. And Again, there's a lot. There's a lot to that, but uh, it's fun to tell it because I was so lost and so scared and you know he did everything financially. Now I'm very successful on my own uh in my life and uh, I never thought I would be and it's it's been wonderful. So no complaints. Just moved a house, remodeled it, sell it to a local family, it all works out good. (laughs) I know how to do my own doors now. I don't have to rely on him. I can even (laughs) plumb. I learned a lot.
0: Thank you so much for your story, Michelle. I, I'm really inspired by that because I think that the idea of like chapters, that you, you, you're allowed to have a chapter where everything sucks. It can even be years.
1: How many pages are in that chapter is up to you though. So you can make that chapter a three page chapter if you want, or it's going to be a 30 page. That's your choice and you have to throw it out there that way. Uh, How am I going to end this chapter? So, you know, on a positive note and get on to the next positive chapter. So, yeah, People have that potential. It's just so hard to understand. So, and I live two worlds. You know, it's hard. You would look at Sarah and I and for sure you would never put your money on her being the gay one or the one that you would put your money on her being the one that had the kid and just told the story I told. But it was me. And I can realistically say that I still to this day wholeheartedly love him and would do anything in the world for him. And he's a great father and a great sport. Just this morning we talked about buying another property together. So there you go (laughs) in our weird little modern family.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, I, I just went home, you know, I went first, I went to Baltimore, my boyfriend's brother got married and both sides of his family were there um, the Chongs and the Corners, and his mom and dad have been divorced forever and ever and ever. And it was kind of amazing. It was the first time his mom was meeting his stepmom ever, and they've been married for like eleven years, right? Wow. And so, it, you know, and it was the first time his dad had seen some of the uncles on the Chong side in forever and ever and ever. You know, like fifteen years.
1: Your
0: yeah, yeah, your and, but. Exactly. And, and like when you're family, you're family. I, I went through a really bad depression actually after I was with a partner. He and I were together for like seven years. And at one point in our relationship, I looked at his nieces and nephews, which we, we saw regularly. We lived in Boston and they lived in Maine. And ultimately we ended up moving to Maine. And I just looked at them and thought, I've been their auntie their entire lives. Like I am part of their growing up. And when we split up, the big thing for me is I moved to Michigan and then I moved to Arizona to go to graduate school. And the night that I, the last night I stayed in his sister's house with the kids, I bawled my eyes out because I thought I'll never be part of their family the way I was. It'll be different. It can never be like this again. And it's sure enough, they've grown up and gone on with their lives and I keep up a little bit through Facebook and that's it. It's like I'm not in their lives. And.
1: You're closing a chapter on your yep. life. That's where the depression stems from. It's people being able to close a chapter and it, and you have to choose how you're going to reopen your next chapter. And it is depressing. My nieces and nephews, though, I mean, I have to make a conscious effort to call my mother-in-laws. I do. Yep. And I still call my mother-in-laws. I will not call my ex-mother-in-laws. They did not choose to divorce me. Uh, nor did I choose to divorce them. We are still family, and they both know it. Now, granted, they may assume another daughter-in-law someday. Which was you. I used to not be able to say that out loud. That <laughs> you, you, you know, kind of by talking to you is kind of a part of the chapter of owning. Yeah. And this is the first time I've spoken out loud and own my story out loud. No, you know, very few people have heard this story in the village, only people close to me, and this is owning it. Now, Four or 5,000 people may hear this story. I don't know, and I don't care, because I think somebody at some point needs to know that we can do this. Yeah, uh, We can move on. Our chapters will be different, but our families' structures will change, even if it's death or divorce or whatever sparrows your, your deal. We're, we're going to change, but we have to get it. We have to get it down. So, uh, make it its new normal. Yeah, and know that that normal could possibly change too. So it's it's becoming aware enough of of your life and who you are and what you want to own in your life and quit ignoring it. Yeah. So own your own feelings. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, you know, it, you know, yeah, it's easy for them to say that. No, it's it's not easy. It's not fun. It's not fun to own it. Uh, I was embarrassed. My parents were known people in the community. Uh, you know, they were embarrassed. They, yeah. My godparents. You know, everyone was embarrassed. You know, they. You know, embarrassed might be kind of a strong adjective, but
0: but uncomfortable. Uncomfortable.
1: Ashamed. Uncomfortable. With it.
0: Ashamed, uncomfortable. It, it
1: scared everybody. Yep. And uh, now, five years later, we're all together. He comes to my parents for Christmas. We're all together. We laugh. We joke. Uh, I was the biggest hurt of everybody, yep he adapted quite well quite quickly. Sarah did really well real quickly. I was definitely that's where the depression comes in. yeah, let it kind of consume me for a long time and the bitterness and the anger and the jealousy yep was insane, yep, where he exhibited none of that.
0: that's incredible
1: so it, it, he was the man of all men in that deal. Uh, he has a story of his own on how to do it. And uh, he's not a real chatty guy, but he might do it. He might tell you something. <laughs> I can only hope.
0: Well, so, Michelle, great story, great insights, and thank you so much for being in the depression session.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I know I, I wanted to do this a year ago, but my chapter wasn't ready, so clearly it's ready today.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Thank
1: you, girl. Good work. Keep on making us proud over
0: here in the village, all right? Absolutely. <laughs> I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you. You You're listening to KTDT Downtown Radio 99.1 FM.